in medicine, this is one of the biggest views of a public health emergency. I guarantee you, if children were dying of any other illness at the rate they die of gun violence, that society would be totally on top of getting rid of it. A lot of the teenagers that die from this die from self-inflicted, from suicide. Isn't like 60% of people with guns die of suicide? That's the number one yeah. cause. And, and a huge portion of that are also elderly people. That's Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Chief Medical Officer with Seattle Children's. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. We just marked a very tragic weekend that occurred 20 years ago, Columbine. And Dr. Del Picaro will talk about one of the leading causes of death among young children and the elderly, and it is all preventable. Adam Shepard, founder of Eight Nines, which merged with Valance last year, will be here to talk about virtual and augmented reality. Aaron Poshis, dental hygienist in Kitsap County, will talk about what I consider to be the most important ingredients for going into business for yourself, and that is finding a niche and solving a problem. Simon Sinek is author of a book called Start With The Why, and he's going to talk about before you do anything, whether going into business or making life choices, Ask yourself the why. Simon Sinek, he is the author of a book, Start With the Why. He asks anybody whether you're heading an organization or a business, most people know the what and the how, but do they know the why? This little idea explains why some organizations and some leaders are able to inspire where others aren't. Let me define the terms really quickly. Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do, 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your proprietary process or your USP. But very, very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make a profit. That's a result. It's always a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose, what's your cause, what's your belief? Why does your organization exist? That was author Simon Sinek, and he is the author of a book, Start With The Why. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. There's a show on CBS called Madam Secretary. It airs on Friday nights. Tia Leone plays Secretary of State Elizabeth McCord. Madam Secretary has been on the air for five seasons. And in the first episode of this season, the U.S. was mediating a potential nuclear escalation between Pakistan and India. Now, I don't want to get into the details of the show per se. There's a short segment I want to play from that show, which addresses the rise of nationalism in this country and around the world. Let me just play the segment, and I will comment on it afterwards. Hate, specifically the blind hatred one group or nation can have for another. 
And that is why I am convinced that nationalism is the existential threat of our time. I want to be clear, nationalism is not the same as patriotism. It's a perversion of patriotism. Nationalism, the belief system held by those who attacked us, promotes the idea that inclusion and diversity represent weakness, that the only way to succeed is to give blind allegiance to the supremacy of one race over all others. Nothing could be less American. Nationalism is not patriotism. Many of us are concerned about the rise of nationalism in the U.S. and worldwide. Now, I know Madam Secretary is fictional, but it does allow us to dream of a functioning government with competent and dedicated people at the helm. Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Chief Medical Officer with Seattle Children's, is on the line. His specialty is pediatric care. He also works on emergency medicine where he says he gets to play with the kids, treat their broken bones, close their lacerations, and relieve a family's concern or help shepherd them through a difficult health crisis. What's the difference between treating and researching children diseases as opposed to adult diseases, and how did he decide to go into pediatric care? The one that's certainly the most visible in our system right now is the work that's being done with our cancer immunotherapy program. There are other places in the world doing it. I think we're definitely in the lead in that, and we certainly have more trials open than I think other any other place. I can remember vividly as a first-year intern having to start an IV in a, in a cancer child who's going through chemotherapy. Essentially, cancer treatment now is giving people enough poison to kill any growing cell in their body and hope that they survive, and we wipe out the cancer without killing them. And we've been doing a version of that for decades. It, it hasn't really fundamentally shifted. We've gotten you know, newer drugs, and they've certainly targeted things in a, in a better way, and the survival has gone up. To be on the cusp of where we're using people's cells and, and um, teaching them how to attack their own cancer cells and potentially being able to put people in remission either long-term or cure them without going through that, to me, is like a, a major fundamental shift. I think the closest thing I would say that analogous to that, that we have done amazing work on, and unfortunately there's a backslide right now, is in vaccines. When I was a resident, we would take care of kids with horrible cases of meningitis and sepsis. Do you know what I mean by those two words? Meningitis I'm familiar with, but was it septis? Sepsis. Yeah, Sepsis. it's where you get it. It's the same idea. It's overwhelming bacterial infection in your bloodstream, and it just destroys all your organs, and you die of that, um, versus meningitis, which is where the infection is heaviest located in your in your brain and spinal canal, and, Got and it. Yes. it kills you that way. And, mm -hmm. you know, I thought... Kids die of those things like all the time when I was a resident. And now it's incredibly rare. Like you just don't see it. 
And in fact, some diseases that I had to take care of as a kid, you know, modern people don't, they have no clue what that is. There seems to be an anti-vaccine sentiment in some quarters of this country that's growing, and I'm certainly concerned about that. What's your thoughts about that? People can get out on any kind of website or FaceTime or whatever, and they, they make themselves an expert, and they convince other people that they know something. Once people convince themselves of something it becomes almost like a religious belief, and then you can't argue them out of it with facts. Like, facts become meaningless at that point. And the number of people that are not vaccinating is just astounding. Could um, we see something of a resurgence of some disease that will come back in a big way that we thought we eradicated because of this um, kind of attitude? Well, we've already seen quite a few measles and whooping coughs or pertussis outbreaks in this country and locally in, in Washington state. Luckily, they're still a, a minority. What's saving them is the fact that almost everybody still does it, because let's just say we reach some tipping point, and I don't, you know, I would have to talk to the CDC or something, find out what that is. If there's enough people immunized that the people that are not immunizing are being saved by the fact that there's not enough germs around to infect their kids. If we drop below a certain level with standard vaccines and their kids started dying of these things or they ended up in our ICUs because of some of those illnesses, that's what happens. Believe me, they would change their belief. <laughs> right, but that's and, what it's going to take. Hopefully we don't hit that tipping point, but if we do... That's what it's going to take to get us back on center, I suppose. Yeah, and I can tell you it has helped move some states a little bit more to not allowing completely free personal exemption from sending their kids to school. It takes a big thing for people to do that. There was a big measles outbreak, if you remember, a year or two ago related to Disneyland visit. Yes, and that helped. That. And that actually helped California government to tighten up the personal exemption rules. Vaccines and clean water have done more to extend the life of people than almost anything we've ever done. The next one is food. So when we say, what are we, what are we doing, though, that's sort of unique in, the, in our end of the woods, I would say it's cancer immunotherapy. I would also say that one of our great successes and secondary challenges is now because of a lot of things we've done, kids with different kinds of either congenital or other things that used to not allow them to survive now live, you know, well into their teens, 20s, 30s, and even beyond. Kids with cystic fibrosis, for instance, and things like that. And my belief is probably maybe not in my lifetime, but in, in some point, They'll be able to find things like kids with diabetes and kids with cystic fibrosis and some other things, and they'll figure out, oh, you have this specific gene defect. I think within, you know, not too long, there'll be a number of those that they'll say, oh, you're missing this specific gene sequence, or you have this specific gene that's not working correctly. And gene therapy to those things has already started in some illnesses, and I think that will progress a lot. Right, and isn't that my limited knowledge in this field, but what I read, 
really gene therapy is the key to eradicating diseases. Otherwise, you're just treating it, as you said, poison treating poison. I think for many diseases, that is true. There are some things, however, that are not that way. There are still, unfortunately, trauma and accidents still kill a lot of children. And in fact, in adolescence, death by gun is is in the top five causes of death, believe it or not. We don't approach it in any way, shape, or form like that because of the whole political issue. Certainly. It is, in, in, in medicine, this is one of the biggest views of a public health emergency. I guarantee you, if children were dying of any other illness at the rate they die of gun violence, that society would be totally on top of getting rid of it. A lot of the teenagers that die from this die from self-inflicted, from suicide. Isn't like 60% of people with guns die of suicide? That's the number one cause. And, And a huge portion of that are also elderly people. What advantages do adults have over children in receiving quality health care? Whether Medicare is good or bad, the good thing about it is is that all adults over age 65 have some level of uniform health care coverage. So it doesn't matter whether you live in rural Wyoming or New York City or you know Alabama or whatever. Kids, however, Medicaid rules and funding vary widely across states and their access to health care is wildly different across places. And again, I say the thing that, well, if you want a healthy adult, you need a healthy kid. That's Dr. Mark Del Beccaro, Seattle Children's Chief Medical Officer. I certainly learned a lot in this interview. I hope you did too. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. I attended something called the Edge Fund, and that is sponsored by Kitsap Bank, and it's small business competition, meaning that a number of businesses come together and they make a pitch for why they should get what is a $20,000 reward for giving the best pitch, I guess, lack of a better word. Think Shark Tank on a local level. One of the businesses that I saw was called Cascade Hygiene, and it's a mobile dental hygiene cleaning service. 
This doesn't sound like a sexy type of company that makes you want to jump out of your seat. But to me, these are the type of companies that succeed because they do two things. One, a niche is found and they solve a problem. I want to get to that a little bit more after I talk to the owner and the starter of the company. Her name is Erin Poshis. And uh, let's just get right into it. I asked her, what does she do? So I'm a dental hygienist and I go around to assisted living facilities and places where people are unable to go to the dental office and I provide dental care. Okay. And what sort of dental care do you provide? Mainly cleanings, fluoride treatments, you know, things where, you know, just basic maintenance things. If they can't get to the dental office and have just their routine maintenance, then there a lot of things can go wrong that I can fix and help. What's that? What could go wrong? I mean, well, they can get periodontal disease, which is very bad because that can create a lot of bone loss where they can lose their teeth. And if you lose your teeth, then you are unable to eat well. And then if you're not able to eat well, your whole quality of life just goes down the drain really fast. And it's really sad. So if you're, if you don't have good oral care, you just decline really, really rapidly and it's very painful and it can all be prevented. So right. it's really I, I, sad. I can appreciate yeah. that. I didn't mean to be light about that because yeah. it is, I have that yeah. issue and Absolutely. I go in like every four months now and, and right. you have to do that for sure. And it's made a big difference. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah. So are you one of the first to go out to the patients uh, yeah. what, in this area, the country, or what? Or so in the area, um, I started this because I had a, my grandpa. He used to live maybe about you know eight years ago in an assisted facility in Silverdale, and I would go and visit him, and he was not getting any oral care at all, and that was what I – I'm a dental hygienist, so I would see that. You know, I'd go in, and I'd visit him, and i look in his mouth. You know, you, how can you not, you know? Sure. And um, it just – he was getting neglected and – looked over and I could see his you know health declining so I just started um, coming in with my tools just on the side and I was just cleaning his teeth and he really started feeling better he was eating better it was like a pretty marked difference from just getting oral care you know so then um, more people started seeing what was happening and they noticed he was improving and just word spread and people are like oh you know I, I need this and that's Good kind of how you. it got going so See, yeah, that's a great nice. entrepreneur mindset where you, you know, saw a niche. Yep, yep. You saw a problem and you right. said, I'm going to step up and do something about this. How's your company doing? Really well. Really well. Her company is doing really well. And I'm not surprised. Two things, again, that she did. She found a niche and she's solving a very big problem. Additionally, she has a core competency in this field. The only difference is now she's doing it on her own. She didn't go out and start a digital company or try to go online and sell stuffed animals or something like that. So if you're in the process of thinking about going into business for yourself, you know you want to be an entrepreneur, but you don't know quite what you want to do. Don't think about the passion thing, what makes you happy. Think about what other people need, what makes them happy, what your customer needs. That's where you want to place yourself. And that's exactly what Aaron has done. She saw a problem. Her grandfather was not getting his teeth serviced properly in an adult care facility. She went in to take care of him, but she soon found out that a lot of other people were dealing with this very same problem. Not surprising, but a business grew from this. So again, if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, always think about how you can make someone's life easier and your prospects for success will be much greater. 
Adam Shepard, founder of Eight Nights, which merged with Valens last year, has joined us and we talked about the emerging technological breakthroughs in the virtual and augmented reality fields. Valens is exploring artificial intelligence and robotics, so on the surface, it does make for a very powerful team. IKEA has jumped into the virtual reality field, and so I asked Adam in what capacity. And IKEA actually were early adopters of doing some experimentation in this space. They had a, a great little application where you could just put a catalog, an IKEA catalog on the floor and pick a piece of furniture that would be displayed there. And by looking at, the, at it through the camera phone, much like I described earlier, you'd be able to see a, a single piece of furniture and, and make sure it fit into that space. Um, as these these become more common uh, commonplace, and as the prices drop down for head-mounted displays, um, you're going to see this be the predominant way that that people would reconfigure their physical space. Now, is this technology here now? Yes, in its early form, we developed for Hololens. Uh, we were one of seven companies that were selected globally by Microsoft to train in secret on Hololens before. It was more generally available, and it's still in its, its development reefs currently. Um, but these are, you know, three thousand dollar computers you wear on your head um, that uh, have the full capability of, say, a laptop or a, a Windows uh, machine, and allow us to um, interact and place three D objects in uh, on any surface in any environment. Just for one moment. And we're talking about fake news and, and all that goes around that. Now right. we talk about having virtual reality in a video or something like that, yeah. that people could use this for not the most positive reasons like we've seen so far. Do you have concerns sure. along those lines? I think with every technology, there's always a, a, a utopian and a, and a dystopian uh, perspective. And I think... As creators, we, we take that responsibility of being on the cutting edge really seriously. And obviously, we'd like to see a utopian um, uh, uh, view of how this technology emerges. But there is undoubtedly a, a ton of issues that need to be addressed and discussed. And for the benefit of the industry as a whole, I think that there needs to be some leadership and standards set down. Um, you know, it, it, we're really talking about um, perception of what is real. It's it's not impossible to imagine 30 years from now that um, a, a, a artificial or a virtual environment could be as realistic as what we're perceiving today with our eyes. Um, uh, the, there's many other senses that, uh, you know, comprise our overall life experience, obviously, um, but there's um, even here locally, uh, we've seen some great um, uh, leadership from people like Michael Abrash, uh, who's the head researcher at Oculus, talking about a 30 year vision for um, replicating all of the senses and being able to provide an experience that's indistinguishable from how we how we view the world today. I mean, clearly, there's a ton of benefits as well as potential downsides of that. But I think, you know, it's very hard to hold back the pace of technology. And in some ways, I think of it as being able to live almost multiple lifetimes in our short lifespans we have on Earth. And if I'm able to um, visit the, the surface of Mars and climb Everest and, uh, you know, visit the bottom of the ocean, these are things that uh, I would cherish as, as having very visceral experiences um, we just need to make sure that the right safeguards are in place for people and that, um, uh, you know, we're, we're making smart decisions as we go along. But, 
you know, it's going to be it's going to be many decades before we reach that point. I think um, we're going to see a steady but rapid adoption of these technologies in, in much the same way we saw with the mobile revolution. Before we go, how long were you with Microsoft and how long has 8 9 been around? I was at Microsoft 12 years. Uh, I moved over from the UK uh, back in 96. And um, uh, 8 9 has been in operation for nine years now. We're, we're excited to celebrate our, our 10th year next year. We got started out uh, doing high-end web and mobile development for large companies. And we decided we wanted to be an industry leader early on in, in this world of VR and AR. And so we started investing in this space about two and a half years ago. And this is unlike any other design for software that exists previously. You know, we're not putting simple boxes on a web page or, or, or forms on an on a, on a application or a mobile app. This is more like theater. It's more like gaming and designing how you interact with objects in the same way you do in the physical world is a very different set of skills. So we're enjoying kind of uh, finding our way through that and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Well, we are out of time. I would like to thank Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Aaron Poshis, and Adam Shepard, who you just heard, for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. If you have any suggestions for topics for future shows, I'm all ears. You can call me at 206-459-5536. That's 206-459-5536. Let me know if there's any topics you would like me to explore. Now, if you would like to listen to any previous show, you can Google KKNW and then click on to archives and then follow the prompts to Voices of Experience. We talk about health, fitness, continuing education, and of course you hear we profile people who have made the difference in our country and in our state. Here is a quote before I leave you. I've been staring at this for a while and I want to share it with you. It's by Katie Tyann, and here it is. The definition of a consultant, a high-priced expert, who will borrow your watch to tell you the time and then will charge you the price for three Rolexes for the information. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? Well, it doesn't say it all, but very interesting observation. I've kind of thought sometimes when I go to companies and, and look at people who are working away, they don't really want to do the work. Now, if you are one of those individuals, I'm available. On another subject, before I close out today's show, my wife, Marty, is the current president of the Donico Pet Clinic, which is a nonprofit that provides free vaccinations and pet care for dogs and cats of the homeless and low-income people in the Seattle area. Now, we have pet food delivered to our front door for the next day's clinic, and this time, last week, it was stolen from our porch. Now, thanks to the generosity of people who stepped up and donated money to replace the stolen pet food and also to Amazon, for refunding the entire amount. It really shows you the great side of people when they do this. I also mention this because I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when the porch thieves opened up their boxes of their newfound treasure and found they had dog and cat food. Bon appetit. Have a great rest of the week. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. 
Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.